Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Today, we are going to have a little bit of a special uh, presentation, a special thing that we talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking the state of the cloud. We've done a survey, we've heard your answers, and we are going to be talking about all of the things that we've found. But that sounds like fun, right? But we should, uh, it, it, life's a little bit better when we spice things up. So we're going to be eating some hot wings and having some hot takes as we go through some of these results. Uh, I'm joined by my coworker Rosemary Wong, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's uh, let's let's see what we have here on the state of the cloud. I'm very excited for this, given that I, this is my afternoon snack time, and this is your lunchtime, Taylor. So I feel like this is very apropos. We're having our lunchtime conversation about this. If you're interested in checking out the survey, it's at hashicorp.com slash state of the cloud dash delimited. And if you're uh, if you're interested in the particulars of the methodology, et cetera, you can check out all the information there. Big thank you to the respondents and the community who took the time to answer the questions for the survey. I'm going to be really honest. I'm really bad with surveys. I don't know about you, Taylor. It's difficult to go through them. I mean, even crafting a survey and trying to figure out what are the worthwhile questions to ask, I feel just it, it, it's a lot to think about. It's 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 difficult to craft it in and of itself. And then, you know, in terms of understanding that data and then correlating that, how figuring out how to actually lay this out in a meaningful way, always a difficult thing to do. So mad respect to the team that put this together. Yeah. And again, if you're interested in learning more, we're not going to go through every section, so check out the link. Um, we're just going to pick out some of the ones that are very, very interesting. But I guess we should start from the very top of the survey. And there's a section labeled five numbers to remember. I should go over the five numbers because it literally says five numbers to remember. <laughs> um, the first number is 76% are already multi-cloud. Uh, 34% call digital transformation a top multi-cloud driver. 57% say skills shortage is a top cloud challenge. 47% say security is a top cloud inhibitor. And 46% say COVID-19 has not sped up cloud adoption. So those are the five numbers at the top. Taylor, any discussion on uh, the five numbers to remember? You know what? I have a bit of a hot take on that oh, 70%, 76% are already multi-cloud. Uh, my question is, is, is that real? Is it? Is that a? Uh, is is that people that have adopted a multi-cloud setup, thinking kind of like being able to fail over data centers to those various clouds, or is that something where uh, it, it just means that you have an account with that cloud service? I think something it's it's difficult to do, right? To to kind of set up all of those clouds together and stitch them together, um, and uh, it, it takes a lot of planning. Definitely, like measure thirty six times, cut once. Uh, in a lot of cases, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's my hot take there. Are we truly multi-cloud? Oh, oh no! <laughs> I think because you have a hot take, that means we actually have to eat a hot wing. Uh, we should probably have described what exactly we did. Um, Taylor found some hot sauces. We have procured said hot sauces, uh, and we have wings, uh, chicken wings, and we are we are going to try to tr these try to eat these hot sauces. Uh, 
every time we have a hot take. And since Taylor initiated the first hot take, which is, are we really truly multi-cloud? I think now we are responsible for having a bite of Ignite Chipotle pepper hot sauce on a wing, which according to the scale is 333 Scovilles. Something like that. All right. Here we go. It's uh yeah. So Chipotle sounds it sounds good. I've, I've had a couple chip. I, I I'm not like big into hot sauces. I'm not. I'm no hot sauce aficionado. I'm better at hot takes uh, on Twitter and and in real life, but not uh, <laughs> not with hot well, sauces. Well, I have so. a hot take after this, but we're not going to count it because you know <laughs> we're doing six hot takes for six hot wings. Uh, we're I'm I'm not going to count my hot take about multi cloud until after we take a bite of this Chipotle one, um, which isn't going to be bad. So I'm. It's okay. Yeah, not bad. That's not, um, it's quite delicious, actually. It's definitely vinegary, got a, um, got a, got a nice taste profile. But um, I want to say this is probably about as hot as the hot take I had. It's like, uh, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I have to, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with that one. There's a little bit of like a hint of heat and a little tingle, but it's not really anything. It's more vinegary. You're right. It is more vinegary than anything. But the wings are good. Um, <laughs> Okay, so my hot take, which is, I think, even hotter, but we're not going to count it, <laughs> is that we brought multi-cloud apologies upon ourselves because we want the latest and shiniest toys, right? Um, every time that I, I've, for some reason, any time that there's been multi-cloud, it's because we'll, you know, we'll commit to one cloud, and then all of a sudden we get this feedback that, oh, you know, the latest and greatest contracts and billing and, and contract options and procurement options are on this cloud. Let's migrate. And we can use these data offerings on this cloud and it's not as good as that cloud. And so then you end up in this weird stasis of sorts where you are working on one cloud, you're transitioning to another, and then anything greenfield or new deployments end up on the new cloud. So my hot take on this one is that we have brought multi-cloud topologies upon ourselves just because we've wanted to use the latest and greatest things. And I think one of those survey respondents was right. You know, you it's impossible to find every offering everywhere. So you want to use the best ones of each cloud. So that's kind of the reality. But I argue even further than that a bit, which is like, we probably wanted to use something. We got our organization to buy into it, but then we had to transition to everything, right? One from one cloud to another. And we just forget to transition things off the other cloud. Um, so that is my hot take. We don't have to eat a wing for it, but <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense too. And it's, I, I've definitely been in that position personally where kind of getting excited about these offerings, getting excited about these new uh, methodologies or workflows that you can implement. But uh, there is nothing more humbling than working with a stakeholder that says, wait, hold on, we're doing what? Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and kind of getting into those conversations too and and hearing their side as well. Like if this works, does it really make sense to, to you know, to migrate this? to change what we know already works. I feel like those are really meaningful conversations. Yeah. All right. So I have, uh, I have another hot take in general, but, um, you know, speaking of multi-cloud, uh, I, I know in the survey, it says AWS is the top cloud provider or remains the top cloud provider. I have nothing against Amazon, but personal hot take, I like Google Cloud Platform better, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, and I know that personal opinion doesn't mean much, right? Especially from an organizational view when you're adopting certain 
cloud providers, you're trying to figure out location, off the set of offerings, billing, there's a whole bunch of considerations for it. But a personal thing from an engineering view, from my own personal usage view, I just find Google Cloud's semantics to be so much easier to understand, right? Coming from the more traditional data center networking space, uh, I want to know that a load balancer is a load balancer. I get very confused if there are different offering names, et cetera. And so I like that the, the approach is to continue with the semantics that are more familiar from an infrastructure space. But that is a personal opinion. And I know that I'm going to be compelled to take a bite of Cayenne. <laughs> I think that's the next one, right? Firehouse Cayenne. That's that's the one. Yeah, it has a, uh, for, for obviously you can't see this, but there's a, a, a Dalmatian that does not know how hot this hot sauce must be inside of this bottle. But uh... <laughs> it's double the Scovilles of the, of the Chipotle pepper so we'll we'll see how this one goes interesting yeah this one looks a little bit more red and pours a little bit thicker so uh has me has me concerned not worried but concerned i'd really? say why is it yeah. concerned? okay but first we have to bite this and then i want to hear what your thoughts are about aws being the top cloud provider oh of course i've also um for those listening i've also uncapped the top of my water just in case you never know uh what might be happening there so here we here here goes nothing I don't taste anything different. No, that wasn't. Am I uh, something? That wasn't that hot, and that was uh, that was good. That was good. I like that. Maybe we need to flush our palates after each of these. I don't think we thought that through, did we? No, no, yeah. It's if if we do a slow burn and and completely burn away our taste buds, I think it will be hard to discern <laughs> what's hot and what's not. All right. Oh, yeah. No, I'm trying to cleanse it. It's not helping, but. Uh, it, it's not bad. It's it's less vinegary. I I did notice that it's less vinegary. I like that better better flavor profile. I know, but I will say I was hoping it would be more vinegary or more spicy because my hot take I felt like was was a hotter. It was like the the like a very controversial one. But I don't know what your thoughts are. <laughs> I th I thought it was a good one. It's yeah. I think that your hot take was a little bit hotter hotter of a take than the sauce. But um, I, I I do agree with you. I think that personally personally I'm a fan of of AWS. I've been um, working with working here at HashiCorp. I um, I've been it's been really illuminating to see how all of these different clouds work and specifically which resources work better than others or just um, you know our personal favorites. So. I think when it comes to GCP, I really do like its ability to fail over compute uh, instances. So I don't have to worry about, um, you know, if this machine or this node goes down, seeing that kind of shift across the the um, data center is is nice to have, as opposed to AWS, you know, you have something that fails, it goes down, then it starts up again, it, you know, if you're using auto scaling groups or something like that. So I really do like that. I do like GCP's um, uh, consistent API structures as well. And so you have that level of predictability, you might not always have with other clouds. And, um, and then uh, uh, I think with with Azure too, something that's really surprised me is I do a lot of work with Kubernetes. So standing up an AKS cluster uh, over in Azure takes about four minutes, which I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, they must have them on on hot standby or something, some cool wizardry in the background because uh, being able to have Kubernetes that quickly, not on a local machine, is a, is a quite fantastic. But uh, yeah, interesting numbers here. Yeah, not a hot take, but actually something. You mentioned, and now I'm thinking this is really interesting, but I wonder what kinds of techniques or how the kinds of techniques that uh, 
a lot of the cloud providers use for cost management map to map a bit to how you would cost manage your infrastructure as someone who's consuming off that platform. I mean, I know all of the platform, all, all of these cloud providers started as a way for internal teams to consume res infrastructural resources. But I am wondering how much of it maps across the two. And maybe we're not borrowing some techniques that we should be. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. I, I, and I think that there's so much in, in Obviously, some things might be competitive advantages, but I think there was there's one article that I read where it talked about Amazon and how they queue up Windows instances prior and how someone did all these forensics to find that out based on like the Windows system event manager. And like it was, it was a really fascinating read, um, a great, great debunking and debugging of uh, figuring that out. But uh, I, I agree with you. If if anyone knows of any uh, etcd or other ways to kind of manage a lot of uh, control plane things, please, please at me. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> Lear learning every day. I actually have a very fun, not a fun metaphor, simile, uh, or analogy. Uh, you know what? Cloud providers are like hot sauces. It's very individual. But from a much larger level, we can globally agree <laughs> on the cost <laughs> uh, and the spice level. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, our personal hot takes, I don't know if we should have counted them, but I was counting it because I, I think uh, people can make all sorts of interesting debates about um, cloud provider. But at the end of the day, they are as individual as your personal choice in hot sauce. You get to pick the vinegar, you get to pick the heat. That's it's great. <laughs> all right. Uh, what else we got? So we got a couple other sections um, in the survey. There's quite a bit about multi-cloud. And we're, we're not really going to go too much into it. I will say there's digital transformation in this. For those who are not as familiar, uh, or actually, let me ask, Taylor, have you heard of the term digital transformation before? I have. I've heard it a few times in a few different contexts. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I, I was interested in taking a look at what that meant in this survey. survey. I, I worked at a, um, at a hospital before, and that was one of the teams' titles and jobs was this digital transformation. And really what that meant was getting away from paper forms, which no one likes, to something that's a little bit more interactive on screens, uh, using automation, uh, your phones, iPads, what 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 have you? So that was digital transformation, and kind of what that meant. There was really just migrating to the cloud. I'm looking at this up the exact definition on CIO.com. Take it or leave it. Um, digital transformation marks a rethinking of. Oh no! It just oh it just shut it. Okay. Digital transformation marks a rethinking of how an organization uses technology, people, and processes in pursuit of new business models and new revenue streams driven by changes in customer expectations around products and services. I think that's closer to what, I think automation is part of it, but that was closer to what I was able to understand about digital transformation when working on these projects. It's um, maybe a, con a consumer or someone who's using your application wants to buy things on the phone, right? You need to change your infrastructure to service mobile technologies, edge devices. Uh, if you have a really, if you need, you know, if you have a really heavy web presence, for example, you might need to make some changes to your entire system as well as your organization to accommodate for that. Um, I think there, however, I think there's probably multiple definitions somewhere. Uh, but if anybody has a really specific one, we'd love to hear it. I did want to define it, though, because I don't think it was defined in the body of the survey. I don't know if it was um, something that was part of the, the question itself, and people have their own interpretation of it. But just for those who are looking at it. 
Okay. All right. So we've got a couple other ones. Let's see. <laughs> oh, okay. I have a hot take. Uh, do we want doing now or wing after my hot take? I'd say, I'd say, I'd say hot take first. And then we can, because uh, I like talking about the uh, spice level compared yeah. to, compared to your hot take. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's fun. Got it. <laughs> okay. All right. So there's a section called cost, skills shortages, workflow issues among top cloud challenges. Uh, and my hot take on this is, it's, you've noticed that at least this is, I, I keep seeing that we bring these things upon ourselves. I think it, we are ultimately responsible for some of these consequences. But to me, I feel like we brought the challenges of cost, not necessarily cost, cost I think it will exclude from this, but skill shortages and workflow issues. I feel like we brought this up those challenges upon ourselves because it wasn't until recently, I would say maybe two to three years, I, even that people believed or believed that public cloud was something that they could migrate to and use, right? I remember, um, you know, five years ago, even someone saying to me, we're never going to move to public cloud. Uh, that's not going to happen for us uh, for security reasons, for, for cost concerns, et cetera. And when you think about the timeline for skills knowledge in the space, you know, we see these jokes uh, online sometimes where a job description says must have five plus years of X and the technology itself has not existed for five years. It was in beta, you know, at the five year mark. Right. And for me, the skill shortage in particular is, is I think something we kind of brought because we said we don't really believe that public cloud is an investment worth making. And as a result, we're not really willing to make the investments to enable people uh, on the skills early enough, right? Because the way I see it, skills acquisition in technology is almost like a two to three year cycle. So by the time you start recognizing that you need it, it's already a little bit too late to enable the folks who are managing these systems or building up the technology skill set for it. That's my personal hot take. I like it. I like it. I think it's it's you you really hit upon something that is profound in that you have these people that even like you said in terms of like do you you must have 5 years experience with this. I think that 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 bums people out in some cases where um, they don't realize that they have that experience either. So one uh, one place I worked, I really like how they reframe, reframed, um, uh, they did a lot of work with on-prem data centers and they said, you know, then edge computing started to kind of come into the fray and was on a lot of bingo uh, bingo cards uh, for, for, <laughs> for terminology. And people said, okay, well, um, you know, when it comes to edge computing, you could just think of that as, uh, as just working in the data center. And, and it was a really, I enjoyed that joke, but, uh, I think it's important to take a look at that and see how we keep shifting from these mainframe client setups and architectures to personal computing back to mainframe and server with the cloud and clients. And it, it's it's interesting to see what people call things and then maybe not realize that like this is a similar pattern, the same pattern we've used all along. Yeah. I will say I, we, I talked a little bit about skills shortages, but what do you think about workflow issues, right? Like how do we... How did we, how did that come about? How did we have such challenges with workflow in particular regarding cloud? Um, I know this takes time, right? And you pointed out, you pointed out earlier that multi-cloud is really difficult. You have to make one unified model of automation across multiple clouds with very different data models and very different approaches, very different behaviors. But I wonder if these workflow, like where are some of these workflow issues coming from? 
and what are they? I don't know if we have to dig into the survey a little bit more. I should check. I'm lo okay. So it says inconsistent workflows across cloud environments, and that I mean that that I think is common. I I did I always joke um, for those who always ask me about a common data model for cloud. Mm. Um, you could look at Apache Lib Cloud, which offers or attempts to offer a layer of <laughs> a unified <laughs> data model and unified interfaces for working with cloud providers. Uh, but I there's a there was um, there's always these initiatives to have unified data models for certain devices and they never end up working. So I'm not sure if we'll ever have consistency in workflows across cloud environments. I'm not sure we ever will. It's it's difficult to do, especially across you know even if you have some unifying way of orchestrating things or understanding managing compute. Uh, and you've figured out that abstraction, it's it, all of the implementation details are, they will, they'll never be the same, you know, uh, unless you're using that same company. So I, I agree with you. I think it's really hard to, to find out, um, it, you know, even relying on that abstraction, you have to learn that tool or that workflow. And so that's kind of where things get broken up and we don't have that common language or that common way to interact with things, which is, you know, uh, it's, that's a bummer, but it, that's uh, it, it breeds new types of thinking, I think is the benefit that we have there. But uh, it's, you know, scaling up is, is always difficult, whether that's compute, whether that's uh, the ability to understand. All right. I guess this means now I have to consume Beijing uh, <laughs> Inferno habanero hot sauce. I've got to, I've, I've loaded up one of my wings with this. It's uh, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the habanero sauces because you get the like sweet and heat uh, all in one, one, uh, one is taste. Is watery or is that just mine? It's it, mine is too. Yeah. I had to, it, this came out a little bit more, uh, enthusiastically <laughs> than, than the, than the previous ones. Oh, <laughs> uh, for those who are tracking the Scovilles, this is double the cayenne. So this is at 1240. At least Ooh. that's what it says on the, the, yeah, that's hotter. I feel the heat on that one for sure. I don't know what you're saying about sweet. <laughs> I'm not <tasting laughs> yeah, sure. It's not here. <laughs> no. No. You're in the wrong no. place. <laughs> mm -hmm. We never actually ask each other about our spice tolerances. We just sort of assume that we would be able to consume these hot sauces. But now I'm, ask I'm asking a little too late. How is your spice tolerance? It's uh, That's a good question. I, I think that... I need to do a better job at tracking how hot some of these Scoville units are on the things that I eat. But I've, I also wonder about that. It's another hot take about hot takes is um, I wonder how accurate the, um, uh, the the rankings are for a lot of these things. I, I, there are these uh, really spicy Korean ramen noodles. Um, they come in this like uh, dark package and they claim to be like, I think it's like 5,000 um, uh, 5,000 to 8,000 on the Scoville unit scale. And uh, I like those, but they are ridiculously hot. I think that's like at, at the the top end of uh, what I'm able to handle. But I'd say probably typically stick into like 1,000, 1,500 based on what we've had today. Okay. Yeah. I think it depends on the spicy. Like habanero, it's okay. I've had a ghost pepper. I've had a Carolina Reaper. It didn't go well. <laughs> I survived, but it didn't go well. Um, but I can't tell, like, I can't say that I won't have, like, slight burning on my tongue, right? Um, that's just going to happen. I am trying to cleanse my palate with some some fats or something just to, like, so I don't have 
uh, I don't infiltrate the other the other hot sauces. But all right. Okay. Oh yes, I have another hot take. Ah, this is double. Okay, I have another hot take. Um, so I this is really actually you sent Taylor. You sent me this. Um, and if you dig into this section about the uh, cloud uh, cl- cost skill shortages and workflow shortages uh, or workflow issues among the challenges for cloud, um, they actually have a section that breaks down the top cloud inhibitors by industry. And they have software services, financial services, public sector, healthcare and biotech, consumer goods and retail, entertainment and media, and telco. And so... Uh, what it was interesting to me is that in the public sector, the top cloud inhibitor is not security, which is what I thought it would be. It is the lack of skills. I don't know if maybe there's a little bit of bias there, but uh, you know, it was really funny because Taylor, you sent me the Senate report card about <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, the U.S. State Department cybersecurity, and and I was like, I seriously was like, wait a second, maybe. My impression of this has been a little skewed. Like I thought it would be security, right? But it, I guess security is not inhibiting cloud adoption or cloud programs. It turns out it's lack of skill. Um, but if you compare it to software or services, it's cost, right? So I don't know if maybe all of the skills are going to one of the other industries and the, thus there's a lack of skills in, in certain others. But it's interesting to see the, the set of them. Uh, that I don't that I will consider that a hot take because I just raised a cybersecurity report card and I'm pretty <laughs> sure the ones that you sent me based on the the information you sent me in the report no one ranked above like a C or something like that yeah okay yeah it's quite sad but it, 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 I mean that makes sense right it's the skill the skill creates the security benefit and kind of that understanding then you can kind of start to drive those changes I, I think that this pairs well with your other hot take too and that um, talking about uh, uh, skills and then kind of like us being, why is the sky falling? Why is the cloud falling? It's 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 us. We're the reason behind that. And uh, <laughs> it's, are, are we moving too fast to be able to keep up with what's changing to be good at it? You know, I, I think that that's, uh, that's something uh, worth considering. Um, and okay. if, uh, if it is just because, you know, is, is it time? Is it, uh, what is it? I think is, is a good follow-up question that, uh, I'm, I'll, I'm going to be curious about asking people and, and seeing what they think, um, and, and how best to help them. Well, isn't that the, there was a whole argument about this, right? Where we've moved away in technology specifically, we've moved away from, acquiring skills that are specialist skills and we've all become generalists which we can argue about this all day <laughs> uh you know that's a whole other conversation entirely but but maybe this is, sh- is it is showing a little bit that public cloud the expectations of, of evolving cloud programs are asking for more generalist knowledge it's just at this point very close to impossible to acquire deep skill set but I do think actually there are domains that we we still need to have certain specialist skills in, at least understanding the use cases and the approaches and the challenges. Like I wouldn't, I you know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't call myself uh, an expert in data. I wouldn't call myself an expert uh, in machine learning. I think all of those still need a specific skill set. So in which case, do we how do we balance uh, the generalist approach with specialist knowledge? I don't know. I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> uh, okay. So now, because I had another hot take, 
It turns out that this is also another habanero, uh, habanero hot sauce. It is the same Scoville ranking, 1240, and it's called Smoke Eater. <laughs> Just the names I, I wanted, like, it, you know, when I think when, when I was little, I wanted to one potential job I wanted was being able to name the Crayola crayons in the box. But I wonder if what? I wonder if <laughs> I wonder if like like macaroni and cheese or like cool blue, you know, it's, I wonder uh, if people have similar aspirations about hot sauce naming and uh, or if they transition from wanting to name colors to hot sauces. Well, full disclosure, when we when we retrieved and uh, procured the hot sauces, we both chose one that could ship to us, and it came in a fire truck box. So I think there's a theme going on here. Um, yeah, we just, I, I, you know, it came in a fire truck box. So I don't know what I was expecting. Okay. I see what you mean about sweet, the sweetness for a habanero. This one is sweeter. feel the heat maybe because the other one was hot and now i'm just like my taste buds just don't care anymore i don't know <laughs> I'm, I'm, hmm. maybe they're just like eh, whatever you already ate that one that or maybe it's just a sign to get into like um com competitive spice uh tolerance um testing <laughs> no no thank you mm -mm. not happening <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about a couple sections. I know we skipped over a couple. We talked about multi-cloud. We talked about cloud providers. We talked about cost, uh, cloud challenges. What else do we got, Taylor? So I have a hot take in the managing cloud spend isn't always easy section. And I'd, my, hot talk, my, my hot take is that it is easy when you know what you're looking for, when you have an understanding of your goals, when you know the architecture you're trying to build. If it's something that you're iterating on, that's okay. But um, it's going to make that um, it's going to make understanding that spend difficult. Also, not understanding the cloud is something that's difficult. There, there are very, there are many personalities that I know of that talk about cloud spend and uh, and and with with great snark and uh, <laughs> and and it's it's really good to hear. And I, I personally, I really like a lot of those opinions and thoughts. Like understanding that you have to. Um, you know, if you set something up that's really uh, highly available, but then you don't understand the data transfer costs between different availability zones, um, you know, having insight into what might bite you or go bump in the night or down at 3 a.m. are all very good things to know. But um, you, you can't, if you're shifting from a data center to the cloud, um, you can't build it the same way. You know, if you have um, 32 CPU cores, 512 gigs of RAM, uh, I, I implore people to, to question, is that really the size that we need? Do, should we think things through a little bit more differently? Do we, things need to change? And um, if so, how do we actually adjust that? Uh, that's going to make cloud spend a lot easier to understand. And, um, and then you get to adopt some, some good practices uh, on your journey. So that's my hot take. I, oh my gosh. How do you, what do you call a hot take that's the opposite? <laughs> <laughs> Um, a not take. You know, I'm just going to say, like, managing spend in general isn't easy ever. Um, and even if you do know what you're doing, it, I'm like, I've never found it to be particularly easy. And part of this is that it, it's not, you know, at some point you have to sit and you think about, is this because I, I budgeted for this and this is why it's hard hmm. to manage? 
or is it because I actually need this, right? And this is like really critical. Um, something that always concerned me was that whenever we get the cloud, whenever I worked with organizations and they would get the cloud bill, they would come back and, you know, the, the financial team would come back and say, hey, you're slightly overspent, you're within the budget, but please cut it. Because as you accrue this over the years, well, it's going to cost too much. And the response, which was a bad response, was to remove all testing environments, right? Ooh. And you can do a lot of interesting cost management in terms of like a, making ephemeral test environments, uh, testing and production to manage that cost. But at the end of the day, I don't think that, I just don't think it's ever going to be that easy because you have to weigh the cost of running that cloud infrastructure constantly with the cost of something going horribly wrong because you just don't have the infrastructure you need, right? So are you going to spend millions over two years uh, on cloud versus lose millions in conversion because you couldn't serve Black Friday shopping deals, right? Which one are you going to pick? Uh, and yeah, that's why I, I was like, I that's good. That's a hot take. That's yeah. good. I like that. No, that makes sense too. And it's like, it, like you said, if, if it's difficult to, it's, that, that's something you won't always know is, is what does your customer base look like? You know, and if you have, you know, say you, you go viral, you get really popular, people really like your service. Um, you're, you, you might not always know that. And that's that, that is never fun for the bill, uh, ever <laughs> when, when you have to deal with that increase. Yeah. It's interesting. I see the, I'm looking at the data now in the survey and they say 49% were was within budget and you wonder if that's just because it was learned over the years and so now you know people have run this and, and they're getting a better sense of how to manage it um and it looks like that there's a quote the bigger the organization's cloud budget the more likely they were to overspend almost half of companies budgeting two to ten million on cloud overspend um that I don't, I could believe that. I could believe that because a lot of the bigger organizations previously were doing data center investments as well. They had data center mm -hmm. investments, they had real estate investments in data center. Um, and in case of the data center, as well as uh, any environment that you're managing yourself, um, it's really hard to calculate the, the real cost of that infrastructure. And mapping that to cloud, it's not just a simple lift and shift, right? You have to take advantage of different workflow approaches and automation in cloud in order to optimize spend. You can't just lift and shift whatever you had in data center, expect it to be the same cost. So that I believe. Somebody once told me, I really liked the, um, the framing of kind of asking, okay, do you build the same with concrete as you would with wood? Um, and the answer should be no, you know, just because it's a different material, it holds up differently as different strengths and weaknesses. And I feel like that's the same with, uh, with, you know, an on-prem solution, the cloud, even adopting, adopting different methodologies. It's, it's kind of like that too. It's really different materials. And, um, it's, I think it's always if you can, if you have the time, you have the budget, you have the ability to do that and, and shift to that, of course, it's going to be great, but not all teams have that ability. And I did think this was an interesting way to kind of look at um, all of the different buckets of what different organizations budget looks like. Um, and and also, I, I do think that these are, I think these buckets are good, but I also do think that the uh, 100K to 2 million is, it is a pretty big bucket. Um, you know, if you say that you your salary is 100 mil to 
uh, or 100k to two mil. That's that is pretty big range. So <laughs> yeah, that is that is I and I I think it you know every survey also has its has has certain bias, right? So we had a pretty respectable sample size on this, uh, but you know who's responding in the industries that uh, our fantastic community is coming from. You know, when we are all infrastructure working in infrastructure and doing all of these things, it's um, you know it it might not really be fully reflective. Something that I also was curious about is whether or not this differed globally. Is globally right? If you're in different regions, you know, would of course these these results would change, and how would they change? Um, and that would be something I would be curious to see. Maybe the next survey. I like this. I like this. Yeah, I'm curious as to. I'd love to see that too. It'd be fun to see what what. Uh, geographically what problems people are going through or what their focus is. I'd really like to see that. Yeah. And I know we have Alibaba mentioned in here, but I also want to know, like, is that, you know, international cloud providers, you know, who might be a little bit, they might not have the same, same sort of scale as AWS at, you know, Azure. I mean, Alibaba has this, the scale, but um, you know, whether or not they have the scale of, of usage, right. Or the recognition, global brand recognition, I wonder how much of this would change the spend or the cost concern, right? Have there are there other mechanisms or ways people are using other clouds that, as a result, cost is more or less of a concern? Um, you know, I don't know what the spend is here, but I do. I will say there are a lot of dark patterns in in billing. Like there are things that you, as a consumer of cloud provider and cloud provider offerings, it's easy just to forget or not know that you're being billed for it. So it's kind of. I hope there's some innovations in the cost space. <laughs> I I would love that and and agreed. It's it kind of especially if something's just you know if it's a big corporation and you you see this nine dollar charge or ten dollar charge from a couple different accounts, eh, it's not worth the time to go and see what that is to fix it. It might cost somebody you know hundred dollars an hour's worth of time. We could let this sit for five months before it, you know it, it just uh, optimizing that cost. But it is yeah that's that's a bummer. More cost savings tools, okay. please. That'd be great. I know. Um, we didn't do the hot sauce, did we? No. Uh, I've, I've had my wing steeping in it. Uh, this one is... Oh, I haven't <laughs> I, I also have boneless wings, too. Uh, I've heard that they can be hotter because they'll soak in the hot sauce in the breading on the outside. Um, with regular oh. wings, they'll like lay on top, which are going to kind of have the initial flash. But um, so yeah, I'm, that I've, is what I have right now. I have non-breaded, unbreaded, just regular old wings uh, that have bones. So yeah, <laughs> I just, just, just like taking a survey, we have some some slight difference. <laughs> <laughs> I think this one starts to ramp up and get pretty hot. Uh, yeah, this one's Bombero Mexican style hot sauce. So let's see. And then uh, we'll tell you Scoville after we try it. Not going to lie. I really like that one. That was a, a good equal parts. Um, I'm still waiting for the heat, but um, definitely not Me feeling too. that yet. But it says it's 1800. So yeah, previously ranking in at like 12, 1240. Now we're at 1800. Well, if we're trying to make the analogy of the hot sauce is about as spicy as a hot take, this is either just not the spiciest hot take we've had, or is this just not a spicy hot sauce? I'm not sure. Yeah, I gotta say that uh, that hot take is uh, that's pretty chill. That's that that wasn't bad. It's, I don't taste anything still. Do you I, know? No, yeah, I'd, I'm yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in for for another go. <laughs> I know it's against the rules, but I gotta I gotta try this. Yeah, I tried to hit a different um, 
patch of taste buds too, just to make sure that no, I don't have any that are malfunctioning. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's 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 decent. I like that. I almost it almost feels like it's it's not as high on that scopal scale. But um, I'd, I'd probably bump that one a little bit lower, honestly. I feel like the Raging Inferno either was because we went from Cayenne to Habanero, so that went 600 to 1240. Maybe there's the differential is just not that much, and the result is that like my taste buds have already been exploded by <laughs> Raging Inferno. I don't know, but I'm just like, I, I just don't, I still don't taste anything. It's not overly vinegary. It's not really sweet either, and it's not really spicy. Yeah, so I just, I'm a little confused. I get that subtle taste, but yeah, no, that's uh. It's a bummer. That's sad, but um, okay. but the but the hot takes were good. The hot takes were good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so far, all right. Uh, so Taylor, do you have one more hot take? I do. Before we get to the hottest sauce, and oh my goodness, it drops off a cliff. Everyone, it's uh, we're going from eighteen hundred on the Scoville unit rank to uh, sixteen thousand. So, my goodness, that's uh, that's some exponential growth. Uh, my, my hot take is. Um, in the section that says open source tools are the most popular option. Um, I do agree with that, but one of the subnotes in there uh, as to why we pick open source offerings is um, I think that that's because we like over-engineering things uh, and satisfying our favorite pastimes, and that's just uh, getting to build it ourselves. Um, nothing wrong with that. It's great to understand things, though I think that uh, definitely a proclivity for people wanting to kind of un- reinvent the wheel or, or uh, maybe make a, a bicycle with like four wheels or five or six. You know, I, I can agree with that. I can agree <laughs> with that. We do like, I mean, we are all engineers for the most part. We like building things and, and we like extending them. And But I guess my question then is, what is stopping people from building the four-wheel bicycle and then contributing it back? That's a good question. I think it is kind of just this, in a lot of cases where I've seen somebody build, uh, teams and people build things that are that work really well for them, um, I think that it gets to a point where since it's been implemented, the the innovation and the time to be able to dedicate to that thing kind of uh, scales back or they're not able to do that. They've solved the initial problem and then they're, you know, they feel like they've solved it and or they like genuinely have. And so they don't feel like they need to add these extra bells, whistles, features and kind of like help that uh, evolve along in a natural progression. I think that my personal take is that when it comes to um, if, if you have the budget and you're, and you're big enough, by all means, you know, try to consume whatever offerings that the core company that created that tool methodology, me- methodology, workflow, whatever it might be, uh, because they know how to work with that best, or they should, being that they created the tool or the workflow. When it comes to open source, I think that it works really well as something to glean from and to try to build around and like stub it out. And that can, that can make a really good platform if that uh, is one of your core competencies or something you really want to get good at. You know, like if I started up my own greeting card company, um, maybe infrastructure is not my core competency. Maybe it's creative and writing pros and cards and figuring out what kind of designs I want to have in my front and uh, the fronts of those cards and working with artists and designers rather than all of these other things or card payments or things like that, that wouldn't really be my core competency. I did notice that in this section, there is one domain in which the results were pretty different, and that's security. 
uh, it's security tooling tends to skew toward commercial tools. Um, and that's, that's where I'm a little, I'm a little, it makes a ton of sense, right? Because the liability of a tool not being secure or, you know, not having the, the so not just exposing the code to everyone um, is, it's scary. It's very scary. Um, so I'm curious if you think that open source will become the most popular option for security tools. I'm biased. I wanted to. Um, <laughs> I really want to see that happen. And I think that it, kind of pairing with the uh, skills talks, uh, uh, skills discussion that we talked about, there's a lot of learning that still needs to happen there. And I feel like people might not feel confident enough in understanding the shape of security in their organization or, or how to implement that. And so I think that to me, that's uh, I saw that too. And I was like, interesting. Because I think that it's something that we can, for now, delegate um, to somebody that we we hope knows more. I feel like it's just kind of a matter of time and focus. And once we have that ability to look at those things, then we can really dig in and um, hopefully pour more into open source there. I think there's this natural kind of um, pushback in that respect as well, in that people are afraid that if we open source these tools that check for that, then people that know how to exploit things will know what we're looking for. You know, it kind of gets into a chicken and egg type of um, discussion is is what I've heard, but uh, definitely looking at more uh, more information on that as time goes on. I, I'm, I'm definitely hoping for that. Really great to see uh, teams like Falco and, and um, Sysdig and uh, Aqua and all of these different solutions, you know, PSPs and, and you know, just even though they're going away, oh no, uh, but, uh, you know, vaults. Just all these a pause for our listeners who are not as familiar with Kubernetes. Like, what is a PSP? <laughs> I think it's a gaming, a handheld gaming system. Um, no, <laughs> PlayStation uh, Portable. Uh, no, it's, um, it's a pod security policy. I just heard they were going away. I forgot they were going away. And then I heard they were going away, which kind of makes me sad. Oh, well, it's okay. Um, I, I was not naming anything specific in the news, but there have been there have been a couple of commercial products in the news that that were compromised, you know. And I guess that's going to show that as we continue to grow in infrastructure automation, we can't always guarantee that commercial tools will, you know, will will always be the most secure either, right? Uh, I am of the opinion this is. Not a uh, does it count as a hot take? I'm not going to count as a hot take. We have one left anyway, but uh, we have to try the last one anyway. But um, you know, my my hot take is that nothing is secure anymore. <laughs> so so really, you know, we might as well just uh, we might as well say, you know, hey, if you use open source, you you know, you at least have access to the code base. You can identify where the problem is. Um, you know, I think we've 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 heard a lot about folks describing, you know describing attacks that happen through supply chain through through a lot of a lot of places so i don't know if open source versus commercial is better or worse in one way or the other i'm sure folks have better ideas and um certainly more specific opinions on it but you know the 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 survey didn't surprise me at least in the security the security infrastructure automation tooling um some of the other ones i was surprised like network uh i to be honest, I came from networking. I thought it was mostly commercial still, but it turns out it's not as commercial as I thought. Um, I think that if, if I can do the math correctly, it's like 58% say uh, build on open source or use open source. Um, and that really surprised me. Uh, 
it just I just never expected because networking had such a heavy vendored space in in a lot of ways and and so much of it was commercial like I had to get a license to do any like tests on switches etc um and now you can you can do stuff open source so that was something surprising for me I agree with you I remember just the heyday of uh network vendors and kind of like what what solution are you going to choose and that's it that surprised me as well I, I hope and the same thing happens with security yeah I think that a lot of the vendors are also offering open source open source options too. Um, and there are communities growing around it. And that's fantastic. I, I'm really excited to see all of these things happening. Um, and I think more than anything, a lot of the projects that are coming out of networking and security are community driven. Hmm. I see a lot of the, let's say, infrastructure automation that checks for policy, checks for the benchmarks are coming from folks who took the time and developed these benchmarks and coded them based on NIST requirements or CIS compliance requirements. And they've done it themselves and then allowed it for other people to consume and understand so that from a security education view, other people are able to retrieve that open source code, understand the policies and the principles, what is compliant, what's not compliant, and implement the best practices without necessarily going in and building it themselves from scratch. So. That kudos to the community, especially in networking security. I, uh, you know, Absolutely. some amazing people who are doing some interesting work there. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for your service. It is appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> we all appreciate it. Um, I will say there's a funny section that says infrastructure automation tools are critical for almost everyone. And it's like, <laughs> there's this big pie chart and there's a huge pie. There's like 70% of the pie, extremely important. <laughs> That is how important infrastructure automation tools are for your organization. Uh, I, you know, I can't say I'm I'm not surprised. I was just the emphatic the emphatic agreement on that. I was like, wow, I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at some of the other tabs too, but yeah, it's provisioning, networking. Provisioning is about seventy five percent, so that's interesting from an automation view. Networking is fifty eight percent. Security is fifty percent currently in use. So there's a and application deployment is a 69% currently in use of infrastructure automation tools. So it seems like a lot of people are doing infrastructure automation and they're already in use. Which is exciting to see. It makes me it makes me happy to see that. And uh, just happy that we can have those conversations too. It's it's always it's always such a letdown to kind of have these things locked behind certain contexts or just not to be able to, I feel like being able to talk about these things and shed light on them makes them stronger, makes them better rather than kind of, you know, like, like a demo that you can present and walk through, I think is a lot more effective than like, no, 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 don't worry about the details. It, it works, right? You know, is not as effective or compelling. Yeah. Oh, right. We didn't actually try this ghost pepper. We've been prolonging. <laughs> it's yeah, it's intentional, intentional. Um, <laughs> did you let yours marinate? Or I, I did. Yeah, it's uh, so so I wish I could share the the picture of my plate. It looks like this very, very um, this flower that no one would want to eat. There's like five petals. And then there's the sixth sauce is uh, is the uh, right in the middle there. So I I'm going to be honest with those who are listening. I uh, I have been pouring them as we go because I don't I don't want them marinating. So I've been kind of pouring as maybe that's losing the effect. I also don't have breaded boneless chicken wings. So there's some there's some differences here. Uh, all right, so this one's the sixteen thousand. I don't think their last hot take was the hottest one, but whatever. We're we're doing this. <laughs> here we go. 
Wow, that is um, by far the hottest one. Yeah, I wish I could. Oh, my goodness, that is very hot. Um, Are you okay? Yeah, um, I might need a refill of water. Uh, <laughs> there's um, the picture on the front is literally someone with mouth just gaping open, five tendrils of fire coming out. Um, I, I, yeah, I feel the same. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. This might be my favorite one. It's really good. I like the flavor too. It's not just like this white hot heat, you know, that you that hits you. It's actually yeah. I like the flavor. Yeah, it's got like I can definitely feel the heat on it, but it's not like completely destructive. It's not like eating a raw ghost pepper or anything. I think they diluted it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Again, thank you. That was <laughs> that's much appreciated. Can actually enjoy the flavor. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually not mad at it. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think. I don't know if it was like an order of like ten magnitude higher, though. Was it? I, I agree. I, d I definitely don't think so. I think this is a pretty gradual increase in in heat. I, li I liked it. That was good. I think of all of these, this is the one that's going to to drain quickest uh, and not sit for eons in the fridge. So that'll be good. Yeah, I might mix the other ones with some like barbecue sauce or something. But this one's good. I like it. I keep eating it. I know people can't see. <laughs> I keep eating it. But it's good. <laughs> I didn't even need to bring out like ice cream, a popsicle or anything. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as I thought. We're good. No, it's good. Yeah, it, it don't it, the, the fire truck was good. It was a good warning, but uh, it seems like we came prepared. It seems like we deal with yeah. enough heat as it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're probably going to catch a little bit of heat after publishing this <laughs> episode, uh, either because we've been eating hot wings and, and now we're going to get hot sauce recommendations or our hot takes were just too much to uh, too much to bear for some folks. Um, anyway, we have uh, one final question here on HashiCast. It's a tradition. If you were one of these hot sauces... Ignite, Firehouse, Raging Inferno, Smoke Eater, Bombero, or Blaze. Which one would you be and why? Ooh, I like this question. Um, it, call, call me a sellout, but I think that the last one, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you picked the last one because that's just what you can remember. No, I, I really did like the, the last one, the Blaze one. I feel like I would, I would be that because... Um, uh, I, I'm, you know, always, always in a hurry to get stuff done. So, you know, blazing fast. Um, <laughs> and then, um, in terms of, uh, uh, ghost pepper, uh, like to, like to set myself to unavailable on the weekends on my Slack and, and other things. So I dig it. <laughs> oh gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, be, I'm going to surprise folks, I think, but I might go with the smoke eater. Um, the whiskey habanero one. It's, uh, you know, I'm not going to pick the spiciest one. It's just, but it's got enough kick and it's got really good flavor. There's a hint of sweetness to it. You know, there are many facets to my personality, I think, <laughs> uh, including the sweet, little bit of spice, uh, the occasional sense of humor, uh, you know, and I think it goes on. It, it's very versatile. Uh, I can put it on a lot of different things like chicken or maybe vegetables or maybe, uh, you know, eggs you know, otherwise, but I think it's a very versatile one. So if I were to be one of these hot sauces, it would probably be the middle one, which is a smoke eater whiskey habanero. And that was like 1240 Scovels. 
apparently. So very exciting. With that, Taylor, thank you for uh, thank you for participating in six <laughs> hot wings for six hot takes. We had many more hot takes, but I think we boiled them down to about six. Uh, if anybody is interested in learning more about the State of the Cloud Strategy Survey, you're welcome to check it out online. Uh, and with that, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to HashiCast with your hosts, Taylor Dolezal and Rosemary Wong. Thanks for listening, and we'll be sure to see you next time.